Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and you're listening to the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every weekday morning for an approximately 20-minute long episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter to you. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystal healing, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, and that's just naming a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, everyone. This is the Goddess Morning Show, and I am your host, Shannon. It is Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy out there. Thank you for tuning in. So our first article today is a talk about why we make offerings, and this was written by John Beckett, and it was published on February 23rd of 2016. This is a little bit older, but I thought it was a really great article, so I wanted to uh, make sure that we got it on. It says, the practice of offerings and sacrifices is not universal among all pagans. The charge of the goddess says, nor do I demand aught of sacrifice. For behold, I am the mother of all things, and my love is poured out upon the earth. I suspect early Wiccans wanted to insulate themselves against mindless and fearful accusations of animal or even human sacrifice. The offerings were quite common in ancient times, and the practice has been revived by a growing number of pagans and especially polytheists. Giving things to the gods, to our ancestors, and to other spirits is a regular part of our spiritual practice. What's the difference between an offering and a sacrifice? While the two terms have different word origins and definitions, offering meaning to give, which sacrifice means to make sacred, in contemporary practice they're virtually the same. I joke that pouring wine is an offering, but pouring Lakewood Temptress Stout is a sacrifice. Offerings generally, but not exclusively, take the form of food and drink, wine, beer, mead, or whiskey, grain, bread, meat, or sweets. It can take the form of money, of objects, or of service. It can take other forms as required by tradition or by the gods themselves. If you're new to polytheism, especially if you've come from a Protestant or an atheist background where religion is all about beliefs, dogma, and the written word, the idea of suffering offerings may strike you as odd, anachronistic, or unnecessary. But for many of us, offerings are the cornerstone of our religious practice. This is why we make offerings. To express hospitality, if you invited a friend over to your house, as soon as they got there, you'd offer them something to drink. If they were there a while, or if they showed up at dinner time, you'd offer them something to eat. You try to be good, generous, thoughtful host who cares for their guests. The same is true with our interaction with the gods. We don't want to invite them to our rituals and start demanding they give us stuff. When we want to polite, be polite and generous, 
we make offerings to the gods to show our respect for them and to demonstrate we practice the virtue of hospitality. We also do it to promote reciprocity. The world runs on reciprocity. I give so that you may give. Sometimes this is quid pro quo, a gift for a gift, or payment for a service. Sometimes you don't expect to be paid back right away. You do a favor for a friend and you know that someday they'll do something for you. Occasionally it's even less structured and you do a good deed and you figure things will even out in the long run. We give to the gods so the gods will give to us. This isn't appeasement and it certainly isn't bribery, as though a divine being could be bribed with a glass of wine. It's demonstrating that we understand the world runs on honest exchange. I give so you may give so that I may give again. Because our ancestors made offerings. Contemporary polytheists aren't building a religion from scratch. We're reviving, restoring, and reimagining the religions of our ancestors. We need not and should not slavishly duplicate everything they believed and did. But where our practice was meaningful and helpful to the ancients, we are foolish if we do not at least explore it. Reviving their practices not only lets us learn from them, it helps restore the bonds across generations as we do now what they did then. Our ancestors made offerings, and so um, we continue that practice in the same spirit. If a good friend asks me for something, my first impulse is to say yes. When somebody asked me for help with their project, I said yes. And when uh, another group of people asked me to give up three hours working as a temple priest, I said yes. Sometimes it's just as simple. A god says, I want that. Sometimes there's a practical reason why they want it. Sometimes there's a whimsical reason that seems like it's whimsical to us. Sometimes there's no reason at all, just that familiar voice or feeling or intuition that they want something from us. I've learned to trust that if they ask for something, the best thing is to do is to give it to them. Of course, there are limits. I grew up hearing the story of Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac to Yahweh. It was a test and Abraham failed. I've never been asked to give something I felt I shouldn't give or that I had no right to give and I don't expect that I ever will. To remind ourselves we have enough is another reason. As the, t as the meme going around Facebook says, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't give what you don't have. By historical standards, though, all the poorest, all but the poorest among us have far more than we truly need. Offerings and sacrifices remind us that we are not lessened when we give. We can and should debate how much we should give, who we should give to, and how our gifts should be made. But as we give to the gods, we are reminded that we can also give to our fellow humans because we have enough. We do offerings to remind ourselves to do what must be done. Let's be honest. While I love being hospitable to the gods and giving them what they ask for, and the end of the day, I really don't like pouring out perfectly good wine that I could drink. I also don't like going to work every day wearing glasses and putting up with Texas summers. But I do all these things because they must be done. They are necessary if I'm going to make enough money to live the way I want to live, if I want to read anything smaller than 16-point type, and if I want to enjoy the mild Texas winters and low cost of living. When I make offerings, I'm reminded that nothing ever comes for free. 
Even the most priceless choices involve a trade-off of one thing or another. If I give a rare bottle of wine to the gods, I cannot give it to a friend. Such is life. We do what we must. We also make offerings to express devotion. Why do we send flowers to a spouse or bring souvenirs back for family or take a close friend out for an expensive dinner? Because we love them and we want to do something nice and thoughtful for them. We want to express our devotion to them. Likewise, as we come to know the gods and to understand their power and virtue, we not only want to ally ourselves with us by working for their causes, we also want to express our devotion to them. We make offerings because we want them to enjoy what we have to give, however ultimately insignificant that may be. I encourage you to make offerings a regular part of your spiritual practice and especially part of your usual ritual liturgy. If you call, invite, invoke a being into your ritual, be a good host and offer them food and drink. Practice good hospitality, reciprocity, and devotion with all your guests. All right. Um, Our next article is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up the Garden, The Art of Organizing the Garden, and Potting Shed. And this was written by Robin Sweetser on February 12th of this year. It says, by now, many of you heard of Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. The Japanese art of decluttering and organizing can be put good be put to good use in the garden as well. It doesn't mean planting in straight rows or keeping the hedges rigidly trimmed. Most of us have a mental image of the landscape we'd like to have. Look around your yard and make note of what speaks to your heart. If there are areas that don't spark joy, as Kondo puts it, think about changing them for something that does. What do you wish to prioritize? Number one, Replace that shrub that never blooms with something you've always wanted. Number two, put up a trellis to plant with some annual vines that can block an ugly view. Number three, use plant fencing or stone walls to create a boundary or define an outdoor room. Number four, thin out and cut back overgrown plants and get rid of those that are past their prime. Number five, using a limited color palette for plants and garden furnishings will calm the look of your space. Number six, do you really need all those garden decorations? Give some to friends. Number seven, don't be too tidy. Leave some messy areas for wildlife. Number eight, get rid of clutter and trash and keep what you love. The garden shed can really benefit from some creative organization. If you have a shed, you know what I mean. During the gardening season, we are too busy to put things back where they belong, and generally they get piled on any flat surface near the door. By fall, it's hard to get inside. I usually take a warm fall day to drag everything out, organize the piles, and put it all back inside where I can find it again the next spring. So if you didn't do that, get all your gardening equipment in one place, sort it out, and see what you need more of and what you can let go. Organized by category, like pots, trays, labels, twist ties, Velcro, stakes, gloves, clippers, twine, reme, amendments, tools, and trowels. Dispose of damaged items and find new homes for things you don't need and will never use. Take stock of what you already own and won't be tempted to buy more of the same. And make a list of what you really need to buy or want to replace. 
Seeds. Need I say more? Before you make a seed order, ferret out all the packages that are hiding around the house and get them all together. Gather up the multiples you'll never use and ones you don't want to grow again and bring them to a seed swap. Or, in this case, um, go online for a seed swap since we're all quarantined now. Ditch those old packets that are out of date. Take some time to sort by starting date and you'll be ahead of the game when you get ready to plant. Garden books and magazines have a way of multiplying. I don't know about you, but I have run out of wall space for more bookshelves. Spend a few winter evenings going through the magazines, rip out the articles you want to keep, and file them for future reference. Weed out the books you don't look at anymore and donate them to the garden club, seed swap, or library book sale. When sorting through this stuff, think about usefulness. Does this have a place in my dream garden? Does it spark joy in my life? Hopefully, after a bit of decluttering and reorganizing, you will be left with a more orderly life and a garden you'll love to spend time in. All right, so our next article is uh, from mindbodygreen.com, and it says, In a trial, this new plant-based drug shows promise for cancer treatment. And this was written by editorial assistant Eliza Sullivan on February 6th of this year. It says cancer is currently the second leading cause of death in the United States. And while there have been some major breakthroughs in treatment, there is still no cure. A recent drug trial turned to botanicals to attempt to help those with head and neck cancers, which account for about 4% of the cases. The trial was undertaken at the University of California, Los Angeles, and found that the botanical-based drug may have promise in helping these patients. The drug, which is called APG-157, is made up of plant-based polyphenols, including curcumin. According to the study, curcumin has been previously linked to suppressing tumors due to its anti-inflammatory and antioxidant qualities. However, Use of it clinically has been limited because people don't absorb it effectively orally. In this study, they found that the drug was effectively absorbed via a oral mucosal absorption. To simplify it, they gave patients a lozenge, which dissolves slowly in the mouth instead of a pill to swallow and other means of delivering medication. Using this method, curcumin and the other polyphenols were effectively able to enter the bloodstream and work their magic. Three hours after taking the drug, they saw high levels of curcumin and its byproducts in the bloodstream and in tumor tissue. Cancer patients who were given the medication saw decreases in cytokines, which are proteins involved in inflammation that can be found in saliva. They also saw reduced numbers of bactericides, which are a type of bacteria with an outer layer that prevent them from being detected by our immune system. Thirdly, patients saw an increase in T-cells in the environment around tumors, which in other therapies are harnessed to kill said tumors. The results of this trial show that specifically for those with head and neck cancer, um, I'm sorry, the Especially for those with head and neck cancers, the drugs may be useful in fighting the inflammation and in drawing T-cells to tumors, which can then be harnessed to fight the tumor. 
According to the report, the drug may have promise when used in combination with immunotherapy drugs. They also point out that the trials saw no adverse effects in treatment, making this one a potentially better option for head and neck cancer patients, which often see negative impacts from traditional treatments such as radiation and chemotherapy. Curcumin is one of the main compounds that make up turmeric, which we know can fight inflammation, boost our immune system, among other benefits for everyone. Add turmeric to your regular routine can be a powerful tool for many health problems, including cancer, but also candida infections and even depression. All right, so another article from mindbodygreen.com, it says Cara Delevingne is helping the planet with eco-resolutions. And this was written by Christina Coughlin on February 7th. It says celebrities, they're just like us. They care about the environment too. With her latest initiative, Cara Delevingne is encouraging people around the world and other celebs included to create eco-resolutions. What is an eco-resolution? The Adyaya Institute initiative, an activist organization that focuses on mental health, the environment, and the economy, partnered with Delevingne in 2019 to create a campaign inspiring others to help the environment in any way possible. Initially, their primary focus was encouraging resolutions from individuals wanting to protect the environment. The resolutions were meant to turn commitments into action. According to their new launch, this year's focus is on mobilizing people to engage with some of our planet's messiest problems through learning, sharing, and transformational action. The campaign launch video released this week, which was the week of February 7th, features a variety of celebrities explaining their eco-resolutions to help the environment. Some celebrities are focusing on dietary changes to protect the planet, like Jack Black, who's cutting all red meat, or Kim Kardashian, who plans to go entirely plant-based. Others are using their work to make a difference. For example, Jaden Smith pledged to partner with companies building sustainable housing for people in need, and model Carly Kloss will continue working with sustainable companies. Both Reese Reese Witherspoon and singer Rita Ora have committed to swap plastic water bottles for reusable ones. As for the leader of the charge, Delevingne, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. It might be Delevingne. She says, I've made the resolution to create positive changes in my daily life to cut my consumption, to limit catastrophic climate change, and to support my mental health. As part of the initiative, the organization plans to take a deeper dive into one area per month, everything from feminism to fashion. For February, they'll prioritize food and farming, uploading various resources to their website to help educate and advise consumers on ways to make informed decisions, inspire action, and support deeper systems change. At the end of the month, the most effective projects and pledges will be celebrated with the people in the community who are leading this eco-revolution. We want to encourage you to create an eco-resolution of your own outside or inside the home. Becoming educated is step one. But after you've found a mission, such as saving the bees, focusing on consumer waste, or cutting your carbon emissions, 
choose an actionable way to make a difference in that sector. Small steps for many people can lead to big change. All right. And the name of that um, initiative is it's A-D-Y-A-Y-A. Maybe that's Adyaya Initiative. I'm just wondering. Let me um, click on this link so I can tell you for sure. Advaya, A-D-V-A-Y-A. I am so sorry. So it's at Advaya, A-D-V-A-Y-A dot C-O. That's the initiative to make an eco resolution. All right. So I want to thank everyone for joining me. Uh, Again, I hope everyone out there is staying safe and healthy and has all the food that they need. Um, I apologize because I have had this terrible, terrible cold for two months now and it really triggers my asthma and it makes me, it makes it really difficult for me to breathe (laughs) while I'm doing the podcast. So If I sound a little bit short of breath or if I'm tripping over my words, (laughs) I apologize because it's taken me forever. It started out as hay fever or allergies and um, it just keeps coming back and coming back with like uh, cold symptoms and it just makes my asthma go crazy. And then I, it's so difficult to speak (laughs) without losing my breath and That just makes it difficult to concentrate while I'm uh, doing the podcast as well. But anyway, just a little aside as to why I sound so choppy and spacey, but I hope it wasn't too distracting. And I hope you join us again. Um, We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Blessings. This episode of the Goddess Morning Show is brought to you by FromAshesWeRiseTo.com, where you can get wellness coaching using holistic methods of healing, purchase our handcrafted, custom-blended, organic, non-GMO herbal teas that are crafted with love, and also order hand-poured soy candles infused with love and pure essential oils and herbs to heal using aromatherapy. Visit our website at fromasheswerise2.com. That's fromasheswerise with the number 2.com to read more about these products and services. Have a blessed day.